It's time for another episode of the Core Extra Podcast. <laughs> he had the hair in the middle of his buck and a horn on the top of his head. Big triangle-shaped shiny object in the sky. I don't know what it was. That's, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. None of this stuff is real. I know what I saw. On this episode of The Attic, we learn how two killers are responsible for saving the lives of millions. Okay, welcome and thank you for tuning in to our latest episode of The Attic. And this one I'm really eager to hear uh, what Steve has in store for us because it's probably a good time to tell you we don't discuss these with each other before we start. We just give the title or the topic. So when I hear that two killers save millions of lives, that's something I want to hear. I want to hear how this happened, you know. So, so with that, Steve, why don't we get started and, and tell the listeners how two killers saved millions of lives. This story takes place in Edinburgh, Scotland in the early 1800s. Now, you have to understand, medicine in the early 1800s is way different than it is now. Nowadays, you can see what the human body consists of with CAT scans, PET scans, X-rays. Yeah, or MRI, uh, sonogram, anything like that, right? Yes, absolutely. But in the early 1800s, the only way to look inside of a body was to cut open a body. And the only way to get a body to cut open was you had to get a cadaver. Now, early in the 19th century, the demand for cadavers was scarce for scientific dissection. Just wasn't a lot of bodies that you could get to. And the idea of, you know, bodies being just people just giving you your body was not even thought of. Right. Bodies used in dissection only came from three places. A suicide, either a prisoner that was condemned and executed, or if you can believe this, orphans. Now when I say orphans, I mean literally because the death rate among children was very high in the early 1800s. In these homes where orphans lived, they had no parents, nobody owned them, uh, so they were, you could be donated to a medical facility for so dissection. With, so when the orphans would pass away, they would just donate them? Yeah. Without any... I would say, I should, maybe I used the wrong word, donate. I imagine they were probably bought. Oh, probably purchased, right. Purchased, right. yes. And then that money would go to the orphanage? Yes. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. The, the shortage of corpses led to body snatching. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a barbaric thing that we think of today. Right. But back then, there was money to be made in body snatching. Right. Now, there is an art, if you can believe it, to body snatching, to removing bodies from a uh, grave. Now, and only skilled individuals could do it. You just can't go to a grave and dig. You know, they put the body in six feet in a casket. Excuse me. You just can't go to a grave 
and dig up the entire six foot because in those days it took forever, number one, to dig the grave. We didn't have backhoes. Right. So you needed to do it the easiest way possible. Now, the easiest way possible was, it's very simple, stones are called headstones because the casket is laid in the grave with the head towards the stone. Right. Okay? So what a grave robber would do is he would dig a hole at the headstone till he hit the casket, bust the hole in the casket, reach in with a hook, and pull the body out, right out through the casket, through the hole, and up to the land, and then bury the hole again, and then nobody could see what happened. So a small you, hole would be dug. So you're saying that when they get to the casket and the head is exposed, just that part of it is exposed, right? Like from the shoulders up? Is that what you mean? Or do they dig up the whole casket and just open the casket? And no, they out? just dig up uh, a hole straight down mm-hmm. to the casket. Mm-hmm. And what they do then is bust a hole in the casket, hook a hook under his shoulders, right, and pull him out. Oh, okay. That's why. That's why I got the nickname Body Snatcher, right? Yeah, yeah. See, this whole time when I heard grave robbers, I thought they actually dug it up and opened the casket. And no, I didn't know uh, that. It was quick, and I imagine these guys were fast. Oh, sure. Now bodies weren't placed in vaults like today, but only in caskets. And a skilled snatcher would dig a hole at the headstone and hook the body under the arms and lift it up and out and would then sell to one of the, these uh, schools. So, so many bodies were being stolen at this time because there was money to be made in it that people were paying individuals to keep watch over their dead relatives so they weren't stolen. And they would pay, like, watchmen to sit at the grave. Because they don't have to sit there for a while, say maybe two weeks, three weeks, because after a certain time, the body decomposed, and they weren't good for dissection. Also, some of the bigger cemeteries were now building, like, guard houses in the middle of cemeteries, Mm -hmm. and a guy could climb up to the top, just like a lighthouse, I guess, and could watch over the entire cemetery. Right. Also, during this time, new inventions were coming in. And one of the inventions was a steel cage that fit around the casket. So when you put it in the ground, you could not rob the the grave. You couldn't get the body out because the cage was small enough that a body couldn't be lifted through it in uh, in the event that someone wanted to steal it. Oh, okay. The next thing that was done... And you'll notice this even today in cemeteries. Obviously, you can't see the cages underground, but what you can see are you'll see giant, huge, flat headstones. They're laying on the ground. You've probably seen these in cemeteries. And what these headstones, the purpose was, they lay across the, the grave, and you cannot get into the grave unless you break the headstone. And some of these headstones weighed five, six, seven hundred pounds. You've seen them in the cemeteries. Oh, sure. How big they are. Sure. And that was one that deterred the grave robbers. I mean, you just couldn't get to the body. Right. 
without like digging up the whole body. You'd have to turn and lift the entire um, tombstone up. Right. And no one, you know, it just wasn't worth. Only a few rich families had those. So you just skip those. Okay. It was hard to charge someone with grave robbing because you have to catch them in the act. You know, they're not doing it in the daylight. They're doing it at night. Now, even if you caught them in the act, there's only two things. There's only three things that happen. Number one, you catch them disturbing a grave. Now, if you catch them in the act, that was, a, that was against the law. I guess to dig a, a grave was against the law when someone in it. <laughs> Number two, it was illegal to take things off a body. Right. So if somebody caught you digging a grave and pulling rings off the body, it was illegal. But it was not illegal to steal a corpse. Think about that. I guess if it didn't have anything on it and you didn't disturb the grave, that's why they covered the hole, made a small hole. Because the, the corpse belonged to nobody. Right. I guess they figured that the grave belonged to the body. The jewelry belonged to the body, but the body belonged to no one. That's weird thinking, but... Wow, yeah, that's kind of bizarre. And and today, you would get abuse of a corpse. Well, you'd get all the way up from, like, trespassing, breaking it in, you know. Right. Now, the price of a corpse changed season to season. In the summer, they were a lot more expensive because of the... uh, the rot would set in quicker due to the heat. So you dig one up, you take it over, you get a lot more money than one from the winter because that being underground, the frost kept the body preserved. You know, you could take a cold body in and they didn't pay as much. Now, let's get to the story. Dr. Robert Knox who is from the Royal College of Edinburgh in Scotland. He was one of the leading doctors of his time on dissection and anatomy. He did many operations, and he learned this from dissecting bodies. He was also a great teacher at the college and taught many students to become doctors in later life. But Dr. Knox needed many bodies. And this is where he turned to two of the famous grave robbers of all time, William Burke and William Harris. So these guys were known grave robbers. Known grave robbers. Okay. Okay, so now they made a living on delivering uh, bodies to Dr. Knox. But there are only so many prisoners out there who are dying or I'm sorry, there are only so many prisoners out there executed and only so many orphans that are dying at a young age. So when William Burke, who owned a boarding house, had a lodger at his house die from a fever, he sold her directly to Dr. Knox. When the family came around to ask where the boarder was, he said, she just left. He didn't tell her that she died. So being that she was a fresh body, he was paid a huge amount of money. So now Burke 
and Hare decide, wait a second, it's an awful lot of trouble waiting till night, going to a cemetery, digging a hole, trying to pull a body out, and then take, you don't know what kind you got, and then taking it to Knox to get money when fresh corpses pay a lot more. Wow. So they come up with this idea. Instead of going through all that, they're just going to start murdering people and selling them directly to Knox. Wow. They just, <laughs> wow. I've heard of a lot of um, motives to start murdering. Usually it's like psychological or, or, or even financial sometimes, but man. This is, like, you, this is like their business model. And you can't, I mean, when I say a lot of money, maybe 10 bucks a body. I mean, it's not like. Oh, right. Back in but, 1800s, but that, yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So they end up killing at least 11 people and selling their bodies. Damn. Now, two of these were lodgers at Burke's house. So he's running kind of like an arsenic and old lace at his house. <laughs> right. Now, anybody that doesn't know arsenic and old lace, check it out. Great movie. So you have to wonder, did they pick people to lodge there in a, to fit in a certain category? Like, I need a woman between 20 and 30. I need a man between 40 and 50. You know what I mean? You know, I never thought of that. And, and from what I read, I didn't find that. But I would think they're selling their bodies to Dr. Knox. Dr. Knox doesn't seem to question where the bodies are. Right. I would think that as a physician, if all they were getting were executed prisoners, which are probably men, right, and all I'm getting are orphans, which are probably kids, right, I would probably ask for a woman, right, you know, because I have not dissected or a young, woman and a young you're probably, person, yeah, and you're a young probably person. right, yeah, yeah, and you probably want somebody young too, because theoretically, well, I guess the orphans could be young, but I guess. Maybe not, but anyway, go ahead. So I haven't come across anything in my research that states that, but as a doctor who's accepting bodies and paying for them, which is kind of weird in itself when you think about it, I would think that he may ask for a certain type. Right. The police are tipped off because one of the boarders that stays at the Burke house is a female, and... It looks like they try to poison her. Well, she doesn't die. She goes to the police. The police come back, and they start questioning Heron Burke over this. And their stories just don't add up. And they've been pretty suspicious about so many murders in the town that they do the next best thing. They go to Hare, and they say, we'll give you immunity if you turn on Burke. Well, Harris right away takes their offer, and he turns on Burke. And they convict Burke of only three of the murders. Now, in a cruel twist of fate, Burke, after he's executed for the murders, is given to Dr. Knox, and he's dissected. (laughs) Talking about karma. Now... How does this tie in with the title? Yeah, I was trying to figure it out as you went along. How do two murders save millions of people? To, put it, to try to put an end to 
body snatching. The English Parliament passes the Anatomy Act of 1832. Now, what does this act do? This act gives doctors and students the right to dissect all donated bodies. Now, what's the difference? Well, before, they were stolen out of the graves. And the only donated were orphans and suicides and condemned individuals. So now anyone can donate their body to science. So now the doctors would pay someone in advance for the right to have your body when you die. Now think about that. Someone comes up to you in those days. You're not well off. They say, I'll give you $20 when you die for your body. What are you going to do? Take it. Take it. I mean, think about that today. Somebody right. came up to you and said, I'll give you $1,000 here. I get your body when you're dead. Mm-hmm. A lot of people take it. Right. With this passage of the Anatomy Act of 1832, this has led to the procedure of donating your body to science. Oh. And in recent years, donating your organs upon death for the purpose to help some stay alive who need them. Oh. So, in conclusion, the two murderers with their ghastly acts have saved millions of people by the donation of your body when you die for dissection mm-hmm. so doctors can learn more about the body and your donation of your organs when you die for the help, yeah, for helping them. people Wow, who need them. So really, these two horrible human beings kick-started something that still goes on today, and it's, you, you know, they've saved countless of millions of lives. Countless of millions of lives and by improved, killing. And improved the lives of others. By killing those 11 people. And it all started with, wow. I was sitting there trying to figure that out the whole time. Like, how, did, how is this going to lead to that? Man, that is truly something else. And that's because, tell me that, the name of that act again. The Anatomy Act of 1832. Wow. Edinburgh, Scotland. Edinburgh, Scotland. Dr. Knox, and he was the head of the uh, Edinburgh, Scotland University. Sure. And William Hare and William Burke, the two murderers. Well, let me ask you this about Dr. Knox. You kind of covered it a little bit. Do you think at any point Dr. Knox knew that they killed those 11 people to, to get the bodies to donate to him? Or, 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 or because he paid them, right? Dr. Knox paid them. Paid them when they brought the body. Okay, so did he know that they killed those people on purpose just to get the payment? Well, I will say this. They, there weren't contracts out. In other words, he didn't pay them first right. to kill people. But I'm sure that at that time... I don't, I don't think any questions were asked. You know what I mean? It's kind of, you know, we need the bodies. And probably Dr. Dr. Knox felt this is a, probably Dr. Knox felt these procedures on these uh, corpses had to be done to learn. And sometimes to save lives, you got to, he just probably figured. Figured, you know. 
like now when people get in a position where they need a new organ and they're on the organ list to wait for a new organ, they, in a way, or not in a way, but actually they're waiting for somebody to, to die. Waiting for someone or to die. Or to meet uh, an early demise. Yeah. But I thought that was a very interesting story. That is one I've never heard. And as we've said before, the addict just doesn't have to be scary and spooky. You know. It can be unexplained, or it can just be a very creepy story like this one. Next week, no other object has as many superstitions, legends, and scary tales associated with it. Everybody has one, everybody has used one, and it's in practically every household in the world. Find out what the object is next week on The Attic.